All right. Man, what a great day. Amen. Is He not worthy? Man, Jesus is worthy of all praise, all adoration, every song that we could sing. Amen. Golly, it's so good. So, church, thank you all for being here today. If you're joining us online, thank you for uh, joining us uh, through technology. We're glad you're a part of the service today. And, uh, man, as we talk about uh, to today's message, talking about he, he is greater than I. He must increase, I must decrease. Here, here's what I want you to understand is that, man, that God... Man, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our time and our affections. And so when we gather together, and we're able to do that as a church, man, there's something powerful about that. I was sitting there as I was just listening to you guys sing, and I was thinking, God, I pray that today you have inhabited the praises of your people. And I believe that he does because he says that in his word, right? And so when we sing like that, and we, we are literally pouring out our hearts for God, man, it makes him smile. He, he inhabits the praises of his people. And uh, so what a great day, you know, what a great song to set up our new series. We're talking about he must become greater, I must decrease. You know, we've got to be willing to have that mentality. And so I want you to kind of follow along with me today. There's a passage here in Psalms that I love, and it goes right along with what we were just singing. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. So great is the Lord. So whenever we gather and we sing and we, we, we lift up, you know, holy hands unto the Lord, man, he's worthy of that. So great, again, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He's worthy of that. No one can measure His greatness. We can't even get our mind around how great He is and how powerful He is. I know there's times in here that we we think, you know, God is a great God. But, man, I think Scripture gives the best pictures of it. And it really begins to lift up and exalt who He is. And so that's what this is about, is exalting Him. Look at this. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. and Let them proclaim your power. Moms and dads, grandparents. That is our job is to make sure that we teach our children how great God is, how powerful he is, how, po- how, how much power there is in just the name of Jesus. When we sing, sing that and we proclaim that, there is authority there. And, and so we, it is our job to make sure that, you know, that the kids know he is a great God. He is a loving God. He is a forgiving God. He is a merciful God. And he's able to overcome anything that we deal with. He's greater than anything that we'll face. And we've got to be willing to die to ourselves. We've got to be willing to... Die to our own agendas. So today the focus is he must increase and I must decrease. And so let me tell you where this comes from. That the, the, the statement really comes from John the Baptist. I don't know if you guys are familiar with John the Baptist, but he's a character in the New Testament. And he was, uh, and Scripture tells us, and we'll look at this, that he was one that would proclaim the way of the Messiah. So he would, he would let people know. He would prepare the way for Jesus. And so in a, in a, in a verse that he, or in a statement we're going to read today, he is telling his disciples that he must decrease and, uh, you know, and that Jesus must increase, that God must increase. And so it's, it's an incredible picture. And so before we get into the passage, I want to kind of set it up. And I don't know if you guys have read through the uh, Gospel of John or John chapter 3, but there's a, there's a lot happening in this, this chapter here. It's where we get John 3.16 is in there. But Jesus, you know, he's meeting with Nicodemus. And I don't know if anybody here has seen The Chosen any of the seasons of The Chosen or any of the episodes, there's one in there, it's one of my favorites, where Nicodemus sets up a, an encounter or a meeting with Jesus. He's wanting to ask him questions about how he's able to perform these miracles and, and, and his teaching. And so Jesus is you know, meeting with Nicodemus in the dark of the night. And, and so in that movie, The Chosen, in that episode, man, it's one of the most powerful ones. And if you haven't seen it, I would encourage you to check it out. But watch as it builds to that. And, uh, and so anyway, in there, you just see this incredible moment where Nicodemus is asking and, and, and Jesus is telling him that you must be born again, that you must be born again. 
And Nicodemus is like, all right, wait a minute. Are you talking about that a man has to enter back into his mother's womb a second time? He goes, my mother's dead. And Jesus says, you know, you don't understand. He said, you have all this teaching, all this knowledge, but yet you don't understand. And so Jesus is kind of telling him what it takes to be made in right relationship with God. And so, so all that conversation is taking place, and it really it's about being purified, it's about being cleansed, it's about being our sins being washed away. And then the disciples, and let's, let's look at this, John the Baptist, he gathers together with his disciples, and he's having this conversation, and we're going to see they're, they're talking about purification again. And so John the Baptist here exalts Jesus. To exalt is to lift up, is to glorify, is to, is to make, make much of. And so hopefully every week when we gather, what we do here is we pray, you know, God, let us make much of Jesus. Let us do everything we can to make him famous in this area, in our community, and mostly in our lives. And so that's what we should be doing as believers, is doing everything we can to make Jesus famous. It says that then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. So let's pause there just for a second on baptism. All right. So what we see is that, you know, Jesus and John are both baptizing. We'll unpack this a little bit more, but this is a big deal. We just saw people go through the waters of baptism. That is a big deal. It's one of the first steps of obedience that we have whenever we have put our faith in Christ, when we realize that Jesus is the Messiah. The promised one, the son of God, the only way to a right relationship with the father by faith in him and what he has done. When we make that decision, when we surrender our life, our next step of obedience is to follow Christ in believers baptism. We see the importance of it here in this passage. This was before John was thrown into prison. If you know much about John, John was uh, man, an incredible character. One of my favorite characters in the Bible as a little boy growing up. I just thought it was the coolest thing that he had clothes made of camel hair and a leather belt. I like, you know, he's a rough, rugged, outdoor kind of guy. And the Bible says that he lived, you know, he ate locust and honey. He ate bugs and honey. That's pretty cool, you know, for a little boy. I thought that was the coolest thing. But John was also, man, he was one of those guys, he did not back down. Very outspoken. And he would proclaim the truth of God's word. He was preaching a message of repentance that we needed to turn from our sins and we needed to turn to God. And it didn't matter who he was talking to. It didn't matter if it was a king. And so John would be thrown into prison for preaching against a king there that uh, was living in a moral lifestyle. So he, he didn't back down from anybody. And he was in prison and had his head taken off because of what he, he spoke the truth against this, this leader. And so a debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. Again, talking about purification. And so here... You know, we, we see this happening. So there's a discussion going on. And, hey, how do you really get right with God? How do you really get right with God? Because oftentimes we try our own means of getting there. Hey, well, I'll clean my life up. You know, I'll fix everything in my life. And that way I'll be right with God. If you could do it, then Jesus died for nothing. If you could clean your life up, if you could fix yourself, you would think you would do it. I had an uncle one time I was sharing with him. Uh, about my salvation, I was sharing the gospel with him, and he said, "Well, he said I want to, I want to do get a few things in order." So what are you talking about? He said, "Well, I want to start going back to church again." He said, "I want to quit smoking." He said, "I want to start reading my Bible again." I said, and I asked him, I said, "Hey, are you trying to, are you trying to earn your salvation?" I said, "Because if you're trying to earn it, you'll never, you'll never have enough." And I think sometimes we have that mentality. I want to try to earn God's favor. You don't earn God's favor. It's called grace. He shows you grace and mercy. He shows you that 
And, and here, here's the thing. He loved us before we ever loved him. And so we kind of got to get our mind around it. But a, a debate broke out about, about cleansing, about purification. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, that's Jesus he's talking about, the one you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. Doesn't that sound like a little kid saying that? I mean, he's, everybody's going over there, you know. And, I mean, it, you, we see the selfishness in that. You know, and we, we, we can hear it. You can hear it when you read it. You can, you can hear and read the selfishness in these disciples of John. And all of us battle it, don't we? We battle being selfish. Uh, you know, we, we, we want to make things about us. You know, maybe like to, today, going to lunch, you're probably thinking about where I want to go. You're not thinking about anybody else, right? And whenever they ask, hey, where does everybody want to go? Everybody's got their own opinion. And most of the time, there's going to be someone that will kind of bend over and say, hey, listen, I'll let you, we'll go where you want to go. But we often, you know, want what we want. And that's, that's our nature. We're, we're selfish by nature. We want what we want. And we're not really worried about everybody else. Now, there may come a point where we, re- we kind of see what it looks like and we go, man, that's ugly. And then we will, are willing to change. But you see these guys here, they're, they're, they're not focused on the kingdom. They're not focused even on what they've been taught. Listen to this. Listen to what John says. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Unless God gives it from heaven. In other words, man, everything that we've got has been given to us by God. You might, you know, be concerned about what other people have. But here's the thing. The Bible says God reigns on the just and the unjust. And so God blesses whoever he wants to. He's God. We're not. But we often want to be God. And we don't think God's being fair sometimes. And let me tell you, fair is he gave you breath to breathe. He gave you a life to live. It's what you do with it. You know, you've got to make choices. You've got to decide what you're going to do. So John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. So here's John going, guys, I have plainly told you that I am not the one. Why are you concerned about me? And maybe they were, tra- they were thinking, hey, we're looking out for you. I think they were looking out for themselves. But here is what we need to understand is there are times that, man, we're told things over and over and over again. And you're like, have y'all ever been on this side? He said, listen, I'm not going to tell you that again. Have y'all ever said that mom and dad to your kid? I'm not going to tell you that again. You know, and so this is the last time. Next time there's going to be some repercussions. You know what I'm saying? And so the other day, it was a couple of weeks ago in our last series, I had a lady message me. And she said, do you ever have people that, you know, you've been telling them something and you feel like you've told them over and over and it's like they don't get it. And I'm like, yes, like every week, you know, I mean, like every week I feel like I'm telling people things that they don't get. And she said, well, today it clicked. She said, today I get it. She goes, today I understand. I'm like, thank God. That's awesome. And, and I was just being honest with her. Yes. She goes, do you ever feel like I'm that person? And that's like, yes, yes, I do. And so there are times that we have people in our life. And so that's what John is saying right here. John said, hey, listen, guys, I have plainly told you. I have plainly told you that I am not the Messiah. I'm not the one. It's not about me. Look at what he says. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. He goes, man, I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. I'm the one proclaiming the way of the Messiah. I'm the one that gets to point him out. And so, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful picture that you see of John's heart here. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. So John is excited, man. He's, he, he's like, this is scripture fulfilled. This is the way it's supposed to be. But he's, he's telling his disciples, these are the guys who are supposed to be learning from him. 
And they're like, well, hey, listen, maybe we missed it. And he's like, yes, I have plainly told you that Jesus is the Messiah. But he's excited, man. He's thrilled at his success. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. I must diminish. And what John is saying, hey, listen, man, it's not about me. And if we could learn something from John today, if we could learn that mentality, hey, it's not about me. It's about God. It's about glorifying God. It's about loving God and loving people. It's about being on mission. Jesus said, you know, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto us. But that is the first thing we seek is that we're to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto us. And so if we have that mentality that Jesus told us about, that John is saying here that we go, it's not about me, but God, it's about your kingdom. God, it's not about me, but it's about what you desire. It's about what you want. It's what you want to accomplish in this world. God, it's not what I want. It's not the accumulation of stuff. It's not even what this world says. God, it's what you desire. That really matters. And so he says, I must become greater. I mean, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. I love what John is saying here. A while ago, we sang a song talking about holiness with human hands. I don't know if you caught that in that song, holiness with human hands. In other words, God left heaven, took on the form of, of a human in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was fully God, but yet fully man. So he understood everything that we would deal with, every temptation, everything that we would battle. He would understand it. Abandonment, he understood it. Betrayal, he understood it. Man, lying about him, he understood that. And so he, but yet he was fully God. And so he has come from above and is greater than anyone else. And so John is making it clear who he is. He didn't want there to be any question with his disciples. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things. But he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He said, hey, listen, you guys got to understand, we're all just humans here. But he is God in flesh, is what he's telling the disciples. He's greater than anything else. He's better than anything that will ever come. He is the great I am. That's what he's saying to these guys. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. And so what John is saying, hey, listen, you got to understand, this is God that has left heaven. So Jesus has been there. He has seen all things. He knows all things. And so when he speaks, he speaks as one who has experience. Not of what it might be like. He is speaking with authority. So Jesus speaks with authority. His name carries authority. And so how few believe him, anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. What he's saying, hey, listen, anyone that accepts what Jesus is saying can affirm that, you know what, it's God's word, it's God's truth. It lines up. If you go back and even look into the Old Testament, all the prophecies that would take place, everything lines up with Jesus. Every, every one of them in, in unbelievable detail. And so what, what John is saying, hey, listen, man, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of every prophecy. He is God's truth. For he is sent by God. He speaks God's words. For God gives him the spirit without limit. Don't you love Reading that to know that, man, there's no limit to what Jesus can do. There's no limit to what his spirit can do. That he can heal the brokenhearted. He can heal anyone's wound. He can set you free from any addiction. He can restore what, man, what the locusts have stolen, what has been robbed from your life. He can restore in greater amounts and greater whatever he wants to do. It's whatever he desires. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And so what John is proclaiming, he say, listen, guys, just to be clear, everything... It's through Jesus. There's no other way to the Father. Everything has been put in His hands. He is the key. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. 
And so John is just, I mean, he's, he's literally exalting God. He's exalting Jesus. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Those who have put their faith in Christ. Didn't you love a little earlier when the young lady, I think it was Olivia, whatever her name was, I can't remember. But she said, yes. Man, when we say yes with everything that is in us, man, it becomes a, a, a proclamation. And that public proclamation is then followed up with obedience by being going through the waters of baptism. And so anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. So in other words, what Scripture says, if we have surrendered our life to Christ, if we have surrendered to Him as Lord, as, as, as the Savior of our life, then we have eternal life. We, we are part of His family. We become part of the church. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's angry judgment. Now, that's the parts we don't like to hear. But see, Jesus came and he talked more about hell than he talked about heaven because he didn't want anybody to go there. He wanted everybody to have a relationship with the Father to come through him. And he said over and over, come to me, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Come to me and experience abundant life. And too often we, we go, man, hey, that sounds good, but man, the world looks pretty good. And all these other things, but man, if we will seek him, he will give us everything that we need. And so again, John is... John is, John's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the good news that the world needs to hear. And he's telling his disciples. I love that. John is the man. This is the scripture. Out, this is in Matthew. And so this is a, a, a passage that John is the fulfillment of a prophecy. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. So here's scripture Pointing back, saying, hey, listen, John is the one that's preparing the way. And John does an incredible job of modeling, exalting God. He's exalting God, and he's humble. And how to be humble, humble ourselves before God, to walk in humility. You know, most of us, you know, we struggle with humility. We, we know we ought to be humble, but, man, we really want people to see us, to notice us. We want everybody's attention sometimes. And there's some of you go, you know, no, 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 Mike, you don't know me. I'm an introvert. I don't really want anybody looking at me. I want to be, you know, kind of in the shadows or whatever. And, and you might think, well, that's humility. No, no, no. That's really pride in a different form. I don't know if you realize that. But you're too proud and too focused on you that you don't want anybody to notice you. And really what the Bible says is that we're supposed to be a light and an ambassador for Christ. So don't let false humility be something that you claim. But let God say, you know what, God, I just want you to work in me and through me. However you see fit. And so, God, I surrender. I give you my life. I give you everything. So John is modeling what it is to exalt God. Here's what I love. John, John knew Jesus. He, he knew who he was, right? And I don't know if you, y'all know the background behind this, but John, whenever Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to visit Elizabeth, her relative. And John, she was pregnant with John. And so whenever, you know, the baby heard the voice of Mary, he leapt in the womb John knew who Jesus was. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, he understood who Jesus was. And even Elizabeth begins to proclaim, you know, you're carrying God's child pretty much. And, and so it's a, it's a beautiful picture of that. So John grew up as a relative of Jesus. And y'all know how it is. I mean, whenever we are trying to reach our family, the hardest people to be a good witness to is who? It's our family. Why is that? Because they know us so well. They've seen us at our worst. I mean, you, you know, you... There may be some of you that you come to know Christ and you go, man, I want to reach my family for Christ. But they know you too well. They've seen you at your worst. I can remember whenever I got saved, the first person I wanted to see get saved was my dad. 
I remember thinking, you know, Lord, just give me an opportunity to share with my dad. And God would give me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And I wouldn't take it to share the gospel because I felt like, you know what? He's seen me at my worst. He knows the worst about me. You know, and, and all of my family did. They knew everything about me. And so here's what I would say to you. You know, if that's your mentality, then Satan keeps you captive. But whenever I finally begin to realize, you know what? It's not about my life. It's about what Jesus has done in my life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And so I begin to share with them what Jesus had done in me. Not, you know, and they knew I was broken. They knew I needed to be saved. They knew that I had problems. But man, whenever I gave my life to Christ, I began to share with them about the righteousness of Christ that had been applied to my life. I began to share with them about the love of God that forgives my sin. And I began to share with them how God's blood, how God's son Jesus died on the cross and his blood washes away our sin. And all I was really was a beggar who had found food was telling other beggars where the food was at. And so what I'm saying is, John, he he knew who Jesus was, and your family knows who you are, but they need to see Jesus in your life. And here's what I would say, you need to know who Jesus is. You need to know who he is. You need to know about him. We know from God's word, we know from the study of scriptures, and we need to know who he is. But John knew him. And and, and I love, you know, I love the fact that John knew him. And let me just say this, this next one here is, is probably the most important. John knew Jesus was the son of God. Not only did he know him, he knew he was the son of God. And, and now we just got through talking about baptism and we saw people go through the waters of baptism. And, and John the Baptist, who was out baptizing, you know, he knew who Jesus was. And, and he even says, behold, the Lamb of God. Here comes Jesus walking down the river. He goes, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he had told, he had told his disciples, hey, listen, there's one coming that I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals. I'm so unworthy. And, and so Jesus comes up to John. And they're in the water. And he says, he says, John, I want you to baptize me. They know each other. And John's thinking, I know that you're the Lamb of God. I know that you're the Son of God. And John is like, Lord, this can't be. And Jesus says, hey, listen, in order for Scripture to be fulfilled, this needs to take place. And so, John, can you imagine? John is baptizing the Son of God. And so John lays him down and pulls him under the water and then pulls him up out of the water. Jesus thought baptism was important enough for us to get baptized. He modeled it. So Jesus was baptized. He comes up out of the water and it says that the heavens opened up and the Spirit of the Lord descended in the form of a dove and said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine John who just baptized Jesus and he stands him back up and all of a sudden he backs up and he looks up and the heavens begin to open up and man, this voice proclaims, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine how undone and how unworthy John felt? But man, God invited John to be a part of that. And I'm just telling you, he's inviting us to, to follow him. He's inviting us to be a part of great things that he wants to do in us and through us. And so Jesus, he models baptism. So if you're here today and you've given your life to Christ, you've surrendered your life to Christ, but you never followed through in believer's baptism, what are you waiting on? Wes said it earlier, man, follow Christ in believer's baptism. It's one of the most beautiful pictures in the scriptures to me. And I can only imagine what people standing around watching that thought. I can only imagine that, man, they just worshipped and they celebrated that the Messiah was there. And so John knew Jesus was the Son of God. I love this. John knew his role. John knew his role. He knew that he was just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He knew that he was the one that was preparing the way. You know, there's times, you know, and I think all of us, we, we really... Envy, we wish we had somebody else's role. We wish we could do what they could do, right? 
I mean, there's times that I'll go, I wish I could sing like Wes, you know. I wish I had a voice and could sing like that and I could lead people in worship. I mean, I think a lot of us do, you know. A lot of people watch The Voice or they watch some of these shows and go, man, I wish I could sing like that. But the thing is, is I, I can't sing like that, but I, I, I have a different role. And so I've embraced my role. My role is to be a teacher and to be a leader. And that's, I embrace that. And I go, you know what, God, that's my role. So I need to know my spot, my place. But John knew his role. And I think sometimes what we do is we, we spend so much time looking at somebody else's role and somebody else's life and envying and coveting and wanting and this and that, that we don't realize what God has given us and we don't give thanks for what we have or what we are or where we are in life. And we are constantly looking and wanting and wishing for something else. But God is saying, hey, listen, this is where, this is how I've gifted you. This is how I've equipped you. This is how I want to work in you. This is how I want to work through you. And so John knew his role. Look at what it says here. I said, it's the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. So John is like, you know, it's about Jesus. He's the bridegroom who is coming for the bride to establish the church, to establish the, the bride of Christ. And so that's all of us who have put our faith in Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And so what John is saying, listen, I'm just glad to stand here and be a part of it. I'm just glad to see what God is doing. I'm just glad to be able, be able to proclaim to everybody that he is the Messiah, to point him out to you guys. And man, how awesome is that to have that mentality? You know, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. And man, if we would just, if we would just point towards him, if we stay focused on him, our lives would be changed. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him and to hear his vows. And therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And so in that passage, it's pretty clear. Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. He, he is the focus. And, and so the best man, if you will, or the friend there who, who, is, who is John is saying, Hey, listen, I'm good with that, man. I'm here to celebrate Jesus. I'm here to point towards him. And John knew his role. John was the friend, simply glad to stand with him. He was the friend that was excited for him. You know, it wouldn't it be nice if, uh, if we had friends that were excited about us whenever, you know, it was something going on for us instead of being envious? Wouldn't it be nice if you were as excited about other people's success as you are about your own? What, what, if, what if we all got excited about someone else's success or someone else's accomplishments or someone else doing well instead of being envious? What if instead of driving down the road and wishing that we had something or that or this or whatever, you know, what if, what if we were content with what we had and, man, we were excited about other people getting a new job or getting a, a new car or getting a whatever it might be? You know, but here's the thing. We live in, a, 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 I guess, a culture that is saturated with coveting and wanting and, you know, marketing and all that stuff. You know, maybe you all watch the, the Braves win a, win a ball game and they're going to the World Series. That's kind of a big deal, right? Uh, and so maybe you're excited about that. But there were some com car commercials in there where they got cars that will drive down the road for you now, you know. And so maybe you were coming to me, man, I, I want one of those, you know. And, you know, and all of a sudden, hey, I got to have that. You know, I got to have one where I can drive down the road and I can get on my phone and do whatever. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, man, that is an accident waiting to happen, but maybe they'll get better at it. I don't know. But there, there's all this push and this desire for stuff and for things. But what if instead of wanting stuff and things, we were about the kingdom of God and we were really about, you know, growing the church and seeing the bride of Christ expand and, 
lives being changed and souls being saved. I mean, what, what if we became about those things and not just for just a few minutes on Sunday morning or whenever it was kind of like the, the, the popular thing. But what if we were like that day in, day out that we were thinking about the things of God? Man, that we were thinking, you know, man, how do I reach my, my coworkers? How do I reach my, my friends? How do I reach them with the gospel? So John was the friend who was simply glad to stand with him. And he was thrilled for others turning to Jesus. When I put this statement down, I thought about, I thought about how churches can be and pastors can be. And oftentimes churches, you know, you know I think they think we compete with one another and, and we're not competing with one another. We're all on the same team. You know, and here's the thing is, you know, I encourage our church to pray for other churches and especially praying for churches that are biblically based and that are evangelical, that they present the gospel and they teach the gospel and they teach that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And there's no other way except through him. So my, my thing is I want our church praying for other churches to proclaim the gospel and that they reach as many people as possible with the good news of Christ. So they drive back the darkness and they push back the lostness of our communities and lives are being changed and marriages are being saved and, and, and people's lives are being turned upside down with the good news. And so that's what we ought to be about. But too often we're not. So we, we ought to be thrilled when other churches are growing and exploding and people are getting saved. And too often we become territorial and we, we think it's about us and it's not about us. And I would even say that every one of us in this room ought to be thinking, you know, how can I share the gospel? What if this many people walked out of here today and everywhere that we went this week, we looked for ways to share the good news of Christ and we did it. I believe, number one, there'd be a lot of people getting saved. And I believe that we'd be pushing back the darkness of our community and there would be, there'd be lives that would be changed because their souls have been saved and the Spirit of God has been placed within them. And you know what? And they would want to walk differently. But we have been called to share. And so we ought to be thrilled when people turn towards Jesus, just like John was. In this passage here, let me kind of set this up. Jesus, you know, is predicting his death. And the disciples, and, you know, and I know some of you guys in here are going like, okay, I'm familiar with this passage. But here's the thing. We, we get to read the end of the book. We get to see the power of the resurrection. We get to, to, we get to know the rest of the story. But the disciples didn't fully understand this. And so Jesus is telling them, hey, guys, I'm going to have to ex- endure some extreme things. And I'm going to die. But on the third day, I will rise. And they're saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. All right, we're following you, Jesus. And we gave up our, we left our boats behind. We left our nets behind. We left our tax collector's booth. We left everything behind to follow you. And you're saying, what now? I mean, so they're, they're like, wait a minute. I thought that you were something different. It's pretty much what they're saying. Now, now Jesus has just asked Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he has given his, his confirmation of what, who, who he says he thinks that Jesus is. But look at what happens. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. There it is again. John says, I've told you plainly. I've been clear about this. So Jesus says, from began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. And that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders. Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm making it clear. This is where I'm going. Nothing would deter him from the cross. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew what it would take to redeem you and to redeem me. He knew what it would take to save the world. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, all these, all these religious leaders were going to do these things to him. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. We celebrated a while ago when we talked about the resurrection, didn't we? Because we know the story. We know there's an empty tomb. And we know that Jesus has conquered death, grave, and the hell. He, he conquered it all. He's conquered sin, everything. 
He's conquered everything through the power of the resurrection. So we can celebrate this, but these guys are going like, do what? What are you telling me? That you're going to die? And, and they're, they're not, they haven't seen a resurrection other than Lazarus. And they're going like, wait a minute. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. How would you like to have it written in Scripture that you reprimanded the Son of God? Man, I wouldn't. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, man, he's saying the wrong thing to the wrong person. You know, and there's times, you know, that we, we go, man, why, who would tell God, you know, what he's going to do? We do. I can remember, and I joke about this, you know, I, I wish I could sing like Wes, but I did lead worship one time. I don't know how good it was, but I did it. And it was one of those things where I just had to do it, but because nobody else was there to do it or whatever. But the thing is, is I can remember telling God, you know, God, I'll, I'll surrender to the ministry. I'll give you my life, but I'm not getting up in front of people. I'm not leading worship. I'm not singing. I'm not doing, and I, I tell him everything I wasn't going to do. And it's almost like a joke. I think God just laughs and goes, oh, you just wait. You know, I remember Ken Gallion. If you guys remember Ken Gallion, who is a, a friend of ours who leads Call to Africa, which is a ministry, and it's a missions ministry that goes into Africa and, man, preaches the gospel. Man, he has such a gifting and an anointing in, in Africa. It's unbelievable. And he said, God, he said, I'll give you my life. He said, God, I'll, you know, he, he was battling with surrender to the ministry. He was working as a manager at Windix, and he said, God, I'll, I'll give you my life. I'll go into the ministry, but I'm not going to Africa. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, isn't that like a joke? It's like, all right, I'm not going to Africa. That's where he's at. And that's where his heart is. I'm just telling you, they ought to, they, when, when Ken dies, they need to cut his heart out and bury it in Africa. That's, that's how much that guy loves Africa. But here's Peter reprimanding Jesus. He's telling the wrong, the, the wrong person, no, man. But he said, heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Look at how Jesus responds. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. That's like a dagger. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And so here, here's what I would say to you for, for those of us in the room or those of you watching. If Jesus, who is fully God but yet fully man, is saying, hey, I, I need to be careful who I listen to. Because it, it could become a trap for me. This is the one that John has said, there's nobody, nobody like him. He's the He's the best. But Jesus is saying, your words could be a trap for me. So see, Jesus dealt with every temptation that we deal with. And so if the Son of God, the Son of Man, has to be careful who he listens to, how much more do we need to be careful about who we listen to? How much more do we need to be careful about who we give ear to? You know, we talked about it in this last series about being careful about inviting the enemy to sit down at our table. Inviting the enemy to... To whisper words into our ears. And so here, Jesus makes it pretty clear. He says, get away from me, Satan. The enemy. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view. Not from God's. And so here, Jesus is just, he's just cutting to the quick. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. So you say, hey, listen, you've got to be willing to die to self. You've got to be willing to die to your selfish ways where it's not always about you, but it's about the kingdom of God. It's not always about what you want. It's about what God desires. And I'm telling you, that, that still holds true for us today. We've got to be willing to, to die to our selfishness. Say, God, it's about you. It's about your kingdom. It's about your will. It's about your, your plan. Take up your cross and follow me. 
A lot of people say that they follow Christ, or I should say a lot of people say they're Christians, but they don't necessarily follow Christ. And what Jesus is saying right here is, hey, listen, if you're going to follow me, you've got to follow me. And he just told him, he said, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to be beat and I'm going to go through tough things and I'm going to die. And he says, but you're going to follow me. And they're like, wait a minute, you know, we're, we're following you to death. We're following you through all of that. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you want to follow me, that's what's involved. And I think at times, and I don't know about you guys, but I can remember at the age of 19 weighing out like, you know, hey, man, if I give my life to Christ, what is, what is it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me to follow Christ? What have I got to give up? And I'll be honest with you, man, I didn't lose anything. I gained everything, but I thought I was going to be losing a lot, but I really was giving up garbage. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So when we surrender our life, that's when we save it. You know, like I said earlier, if we're trying to figure out how to be good enough to earn God's salvation or be good enough to get into heaven, man, you've already missed it. We have to be willing to give up our life and surrender our life and say, Jesus, I surrender to you as leader, as Lord of my life. And I trust you to save me. I can't do it on my own. And so Jesus is pretty clear. You've got to be willing to lay your life down. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? You gain the whole world. I think too often in this day and age, I mean, we're looking for everything that the world has to offer. We're working on a nest egg. We're working on retirement. We're working on stuff. We're accumulation of stuff. Popularity. Followings. Jesus says, and what, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What if you get everything that the world promises but yet you bust hell wide open? What if you have everything to, that the world could ever offer but yet you don't take anything with you? You spend an eternity separated from God, separated from family, separated from everybody in a place called hell. Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? When you stay focused on God's plan, not our own. Whenever I am willing to relinquish and lay down my plans and not plan things out and say, hey, God, will you bless what I'm thinking? Well, God, will you bless what I want to do? But say, God, what do you want to do? Man, there's peace in that. No one, because I know that his plans are best. And I know that he's got the very best in, in mind for me. He's got the best in mind for you. He has the very best in mind for you. He loves you more than I could ever love you more than I could ever love my children. He loves my children more than I could ever love them. God loves us. He wants the best for us. He's always trying to protect us, even from ourselves. We must give up our own way and trust Jesus. Trust Jesus that His way is best. It is best. But the thing is, is do we trust Him enough? You know, we, there's lots of people that would say, man, I, I, I trust Jesus to save my soul. I trust Jesus. I, you know, we just want a little bit of fire insurance. We don't want to go to hell. So I trust Jesus, but I don't trust Him with my finances. And I don't trust Him with my job. And I don't trust Him with my career. And I don't trust Him with my children. And I don't trust Him with all this. And so we'll say we, we trust Him to save our soul, but we will not trust Him with the decisions of every day. And what we've got to understand, we've got to get to the point where we trust Jesus more than anything else. More than anything that this world says. And just say, you know what, Jesus, I trust you. Let me keep my eyes focused on you, the good shepherd. I trust you. You have my best interest in mind. Well-meaning people that aren't focused on the kingdom of God can be used by the enemy. Just like Peter and John's disciples, right? And so we have to be careful that, you know, we can get around people that... 
you know, they're, they're well-meaning. They're trying to tell you what they think. But the thing is, is does it line up with the Word of God? Is it congruent with the Word of God? Does it line up with His teachings? Because if we're followers of Christ, we want to follow the teachings of Jesus, right? We want to follow His teaching. We want to live according to His Word. So we have to be careful that we don't allow the enemy to speak into our life. And just like Jesus said, hey, you know, Peter, you can be a trap for me. Some of you guys have got traps that you invite in every week. And maybe on Friday night, say, listen, you want to go hang out? And you go hang out with people that you know are a trap for you. They're the enemy. You might say, well, Mike, they're friends. I don't care. Peter, man, had laid down his life. He gave up everything for Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, listen, you're the enemy right now. And there's people in our life that we've got to be willing to say, you know what? I can't be around you. Because when I get around you, man, I go the wrong way. No one loses anything by following Jesus. I know you think, wait a minute, Mike. You're saying to give up our life. You're saying to give up everything, to surrender everything to Jesus. That's exactly what I'm saying. And you think that, hey, man, this, there's this exchange that is taking place that you're giving up all this stuff. And really what you're giving up is you're giving up garbage. That's what Paul says. He said, man, you know, I consider everything that I thought was important, rubbish, garbage, and in some translations, dung, which is doo-doo. That's what he's saying. He said, that's how I think about all that stuff compared to the, the, the greatness of knowing Christ. He said, man, I give up everything for knowing Jesus. And too often what we're doing is we're chasing all this garbage. And we've got to be willing to say, you know what? I want the King of kings and Lord of lords. I want Jesus more than anything else. And the Bible says that when we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, that's Jesus. Then here's the thing, everything else will be added unto us. In other words, He'll meet every need. He'll take care of us. A couple of next steps, maybe for you today. One is I fully surrender my life to Jesus Christ for salvation. Maybe today there's somebody here in the room that you've never put your, your faith in Christ for salvation. There was three people in the first service that raised their hands and said, Mike, I've, I, need, I prayed to receive Christ today. I, I needed Jesus. There may be somebody watching online. And man, you've never put your faith in Christ for salvation. You've never been saved. Your, your, your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're not a part of the church. You're not a part of the bride of Christ. You're not part of the family of God. And it's not because God doesn't want you in here. It's because you have chose something else. Maybe you chose the world. But today you go, you know what, man? I want to choose Jesus. I want to choose Christ. I want to choose Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. Because I know that He can heal me. And I know that He can change me. And I know that He can save me. Here's the next one. I trust Jesus by surrendering all my plans to Him. Not just some of them, but all of them. And maybe you're here today and maybe you're a believer and you made that decision years ago. But man, you know that right now you don't trust God. You don't trust Jesus. You don't follow Him. You just want Him to bless whatever you decide. And maybe today you say, you know what, I'm going to surrender it all. I surrender all. I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes and I want to encourage you to not walk out of here today and keep hanging on to the garbage. Maybe let it go today. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. Maybe you're watching online. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. You've never surrendered everything to Him. What's keeping you from making that decision today? So maybe today, right now, you want to put your faith in Christ. You want to be saved. Let me, let me walk you through what I walked through when I was 19 years old. I walked down an aisle. I took a guy by the hand. He said, Mike, what are you coming forward for? I said, man, I, I really don't know. I just know I need Jesus. I know I want to be saved. I know I want to be born again. 
So I prayed this prayer. I said, Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I need a Savior. And so, Jesus, I come to you with all the faith that I have and I'm asking you to come into my life to save me and to change me. I want to quit living the way I've been living and I want to live for you. That's repentance. So I confessed my sins, I repented of my sins and I turned to Jesus by faith. And let me tell you, I felt Him step into my life. And it changed the whole trajectory of my life. I knew that night when I got up off my knees that I was a child of God. I knew that I was part of His church. I knew that I was part of His family. And it's never left me. It's changed everything about me. So what's keeping you from praying that prayer? What's keeping you from asking Christ to come into your life? Maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online. That's your prayer. You say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you're the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And I need healing. And I need to be saved. I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. I give you my life. If you just prayed that prayer, you just ask Christ to come and live within you. If you would, just raise your hands and say, Mike, that's me. Anybody in the room, just raise your hand. Raise it high. Say, Mike, that's me. I just prayed to see Christ. Anybody? Maybe somebody online made that decision. Maybe you're afraid to raise your hand. It's okay. He sees your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Our prayer team is going to be here at the front. Wes is going to lead us to a song, powerful song. Well, I want to say this to, to the believers in the room. Man, don't stay where you are if God's telling you to lay something on the altar. I want to ask everybody just to stand. You respond as the Lord leads. The prayer team will be here at the front. Wes is going to lead us. Everybody stand. You respond as the Holy Spirit leads.
good, God? Amen. Just being able to come down sometimes and just be able to leave something on the altar. Man, there's something powerful about that. There may be some of you, man, you still need somebody to talk with, to pray with. You can go back to the VIP room. We want to we wanna pray with you. We want to know what God is doing in your life. But, man, we've got to be willing to trust you. Father, I pray that you just uh, would, Father, be honored by everything that has been sung today and said today. And God, I thank you for the salvations that took place in the first service. I thank you for the baptisms that took place today. Those going public, unashamed, that you have saved them, that you have redeemed them, God, you have transformed them. So, God, thank you that you're not done with us. God, I pray that we as a church, when we leave today, God, that we would look for someone to share the hope that we have with. So, God, as we continue to worship through giving, God, I pray that we would give with grateful hearts. I pray that we would be generous. Father, we believe in the kingdom. God, I pray that as we wrap up the service with worship, God, that it would be true worship. That we would worship in truth and in spirit. God, use us this week as your vessels. In Jesus' name.